Amen. Let's read together from Mark chapter 4, verses 21 to 25. Then Jesus asked them, Would anyone light a lamp and then put it under a basket or under a bed? Of course not. A lamp is placed on a stand where its light will shine. For everything that is hidden will eventually be brought into the open, and every secret will be brought to light. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Then he added, Pay close attention to what you hear. The closer you listen, the more understanding you will be given, and you will receive even more. To those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given. But for those who are not listening, even what little understanding they have will be taken away from them. We will be in Mark chapter 4 this morning. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word and for the power of your word. Uh, We are thankful that we can read it, and we ask that you would help us as we do that to understand it. And this morning, as we look at these parables, would you open our hearts and our eyes and our minds and, and help us to see what it is that you want us to learn. And we ask this in your name. Amen. Please be seated. Uh, when I was 17, I had decided I wanted to be a, a missionary pilot with MAF or something like that. And so um, uh, my grandmother, bless her heart, paid for me to start taking flying lessons. And I flew out of a little strip in Michigan. It was a, three runways, but they were all grass, uh, sod runways. And um, I you know, got quite a ways into it, and eventually, uh, you know, I wasn't where the Lord was taking me, so I didn't do that. But one time when I was there for a lesson, uh, I was talking with the owner of the airstrip, and he had discovered that um, if he wanted to save money and not have to worry too much about taxes, he could take the land between all of the runways and plant crops there, and it would then be categorized as a, as a um, farmland instead of as a commercial uh, airfield. So I was there one day when they did the sowing. It was the most fascinating thing I've ever seen because they didn't care about the harvest. They just had to put the seed in the ground. So they took the door off the, took the, door off the airplane, and he got in and flew, and his friend got in there with 200-pound bags of corn, and they came dipping down, just tossing the corn out the door of the airplane, and it scattered all over the place, and they didn't care. As long as it wasn't on the airstrip, they were perfectly okay wherever that corn landed. Um, and so they, it took them about 10 minutes to plant, I think it was close to four acres. There's just scattered seed everywhere. Well, this morning in our first parable, we're going to see that scattering seed has been around for thousands of years. That's the way people planted many, many places. Um, <clears throat> now, as we've been studying the book of Mark, um, Mark has been taking us at a very fast pace up to this point through all of the things that Jesus was doing, visiting all of the cities and towns and and teaching and healing and um, casting out demons, all of that. And as you're looking at at what's going on, it seems like it's thick from here to here to here. I mean, just all over the place. Now he comes to the section where he seems to be saying, okay, now let's slow down a minute and let's focus on some of Jesus' teaching. 
And we get right into the very first parable in a minute here. Now, remember at the end of Mark chapter 3, the biggest attack that Jesus faced from the religious leaders took place. And he had been healing and doing all kinds of things, you know, casting out demons. And um, they accused him of casting out demons with the power of Satan himself. So they were accusing him of being possessed by Satan. And... um, Jesus responded, verse 28 of chapter 3, I tell, you, I tell you the truth, all sin and blasphemy can be forgiven. But anyone who blasphemes the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. This is a sin with eternal consequences. He told them this because they, the religious leaders, were saying he's possessed by an evil spirit. And we talked about how the unpardonable sin that Jesus is talking about is what the religious leaders who had hardened their hearts had done by saying, "This, this isn't God doing this. This is the devil working through this man. And that was the sin of blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Now, we do have an unpardonable sin today, but it has nothing to do with this. It's not about the blaspheming of the Holy Spirit. But it's anyone who rejects Jesus Christ and the salvation and the grace and the mercy that he offers, and they just say, no, I don't want to have anything to do with this. When they die, that's an unpardonable sin. They go into eternity lost, and they go to hell in in that situation. And so that's the unpardonable sin in in our time period. Uh, The one that Jesus was talking about with the religious leaders was a whole separate thing. So he finishes this discussion with them and he pronounces that judgment on them. That's judgment when he says, you will not be forgiven. And he pronounces the judgment and the very very next thing that happens is in verse 1, chapter 4, again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. And he taught them many things by parables. And in his teaching, he said, and we'll go right into the parable in just a minute. Let me just take a second to look at parables. Um, Mark doesn't have as many as Matthew and Luke. Go ahead and put that slide up, Tim. Thank you. Um, But he has some. And the first one we're going to look at is actually in all four Gospels. So, um, But this this is something we need to think through about parables. Usually, they reflect everyday life in Israel. So the, the stories are examples of things that are going on or things that they've seen, things that they've heard about, and, and Jesus is using it for a purpose. The second one, um, parables many times omit unnecessary details. So many times, motives are not included. They just tell you what's happening or what, what's being said. Um, sometimes there's some questions that are implied, but that don't go an- they aren't answered. Um, they just aren't. And, and, and that is because Jesus had specific purposes in some of those parables. Um, third thing, often uh, parables require several, I'm sorry, require a reversal in one's thinking. For instance, if you hated Samaritans and you were Jewish, you hated Samaritans in that time frame, and Jesus told you the parable about the good Samaritan, that required a change in your thinking. That Samaritan was, a, was better than the priest and better than the Levite. And so that required it. You'd think differently. There's a reversal that took place there. Um, parables were examples that clarified truth. Sometimes he would tell a parable, and it made it crystal clear what he'd been trying to say. At other times, and for other people, he would tell a parable, 
And it was to conceal truth from those, those that hadn't wanted to be listening or um, didn't want to believe the things Jesus was telling them. And then the last one's kind of important, I think, too. Sometimes I remember in Bolivia, we were teaching uh, all of these young college students ways to study the Bible and all those kinds of things. And when they got into the parables, oh, they just went crazy. They were doing all kinds of stuff in the parables. And they'd come up with stuff, and I'd go, oh, man. So we, we, this is a, one of the principles you'll find in hermeneutics, and that's that parables are not a primary source of doctrine. You don't go to the parables and say, oh, yeah, this one here teaches justification by faith. No, not really. They're examples and they're illustrations. And many times, parables have one thought, one central thing that they're communicating. Uh, Some have several, but many of them have just the one. So let's jump into the first parable, the parable of the sower. Verse 3, listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no roots. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil, and it came up and grew, a, uh, and it grew and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, 60, or 100 times. And then Jesus ends. Remember, he starts out by saying, listen up. And now he says, whoever has ears, let him hear what has been taught. Uh, and so it's very much a challenge. Everybody's there to listen up. And, and one of the things that, that we think about when we see this is that really Jesus is describing something they were all familiar with. Living in Galilee, one of the ways that they sowed seed was to go out and throw it. And the better you were as someone who could sow seed, the less seed fell in those places that, where it wouldn't grow. So that was the point, was to get as much seed as possible in the part of the, of the field that was there for crops to grow in. And so Jesus uses this, and um, <clears throat> he uses this to kind of kick off some things that he wants the disciples and others to learn. So he teaches this parable, maybe some others, but then at some point they are to them, themselves, just the 12 and maybe a few other people around. Verse 10 says, When he was alone, the 12 and the others around him asked him about the parables. He told them, The secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those on the outside everything is said in parables. So he's saying, hey, you guys who have believed and believe that I'm the Messiah, have faith in me, Um, to you, those secrets are being explained. Those secrets are are coming through loud and clear. You're hearing them and and you're understanding them. But the the people outside, and the outsiders would be those that said Jesus was doing miracles by the power of Satan. The outsiders would have been the religious leaders who thought Jesus was totally wrong in the things that he said and taught and the things that he did. And so that's what he's talking about. Outsiders were people who were described this way, persistent unbelievers, or people who were hardened in their hearts. And they were basically saying, we know what this man is, we don't want to hear from him, and if we do hear from him, we don't care what he says. That's the kind of thought and attitude um, that, that they had there. So why did they go and hear him if they didn't want to hear him? Part of it was looking for opportunities to accuse him. Remember, they've already decided that Jesus has to die. 
And so they're looking for that opportunity. The one thing that'll come along that they can then take and take it to the high priest or to, uh, to the Roman government and say, listen, this is what he's doing and, and he needs to be, he needs to be um, assassinated or killed. <clears throat> I came across this quote that I thought was great. Faith grasps what unbelief cannot see. In other words, the disciples were listening to Jesus with faith in him, and they were understanding and capturing. And, and even if they didn't get it all, Jesus explained it to them. And so faith understands because it believes, whereas the unbelief blinds them. Those who do, hardened their hearts would not be able to understand. Um, so those who responded to Jesus' faith and, and faith, those who um, were the ones who said, yes, this is the Messiah, they're the ones that would get more and more understanding as they listened to the things of, of that Jesus was saying. Now, we come to a really difficult part here. In verse 11, I'm going to read that again and move to 12. He, to <clears throat> he told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those on the outside, everything is said in parables so that, and that phrase is the difficult phrase, so that they may ever be seeing and never perceiving, ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Now, this is a direct quote from Isaiah 6, 9 through 10. So what in the world is Jesus saying here? Is he saying, hey, I don't want these people to, to understand this because if they do, they might, they might uh, you know, confess and, 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 you know, repent of their sins. That's... And that's how some people take it. There's a group of people who say, okay, this is what Jesus was saying, and he was basically saying, I don't want them to have any part of, of, of the reality of grace and forgiveness. So what is this all that there for? So I thought we'd talk about that a little bit, just to kind of make sure we understand what Jesus is actually saying. So how do we understand the so that? Um, <clears throat> there's three things, and I think it, some people would go on either, on some of these specifically. Um, so they say that he's saying this in order that the quote from Isaiah might be fulfilled. Okay, so he says, so that, and then he quotes Isaiah. And what he's saying is, this is the connection, and this is what's happening to these people who have hardened their hearts. And, and uh, they won't. And when I was speaking of Israel, they had rejected God, and they had turned away from him so often that when he sent them into captivity, he said that, there's no coming back from this for you. Seventy years later, they would, but <clears throat> that was part of it. So it's very possible that he's saying, so that this prophecy would be fulfilled. Another way of seeing it is that he says, so that, and then he gives a deliberate exaggeration to make a point. So he's saying something really strongly and really harshly um, because that's how he gets his point across. He does that in other places. He says, if your right hand offends you, Cut it off. Better to go through life without a hand than to have sin keep you out of the kingdom of God. That was an exaggeration. He didn't want people going out and cutting off the right hands. He wanted people to go out and deal with the sin in their lives in a real way. Get before God and actually repent and turn back to him about whatever that the sin had been. So it's a possibility. He's saying, hey, I'm saying this really strongly and really harshly because I want you to wake up. I want you people to wake up. And then the last one, it's possible that basically the whole context of Isaiah is being played out right there. There are people who are so against um, Jesus that they have basically said, he is 
you know, filled with the devil. That's how he can do these things. And in that context, Jesus will be saying, yeah, they, they don't have a chance. There's no chance for them to come back. They've committed the sin of blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Um, so those are, some people would pick one of those. I pick all three. <laughs> I think it's bits and pieces of all of those things combined together. Uh, we, many times in our culture, it's an either or, but in other cultures, it's both and. So it's this and this, or this and this and this. So that's kind of where I stand on all of it. Now, one of the things I think we need to understand is Jesus' audience was not being denied the opportunity to believe in him. Um, after those who persistently closed their minds and hardened their hearts to his message, they were excluded from further understanding by his use of parables because they weren't going to get the spiritual sense of what was going on or the explanation because they'd already hardened their hearts to the point uh, of being condemned. Now, there's another quote here. No matter how much they saw of Jesus' miracles or heard of his teaching, they never would be able to understand because they had deliberately chosen not to. And God does not override human will. If someone says, I want to have nothing to do with God, and Jesus is a, is a figment of everybody's imagination, I will have nothing to do with that. Uh, I mean, the gospel will still be presented, but at some point, there will be no opportunity to respond because the heart has become so hard. And this, I think what's going on in this passage is there are those that are having those hard hearts are, are beginning to see this is what, it's what happens when you have that kind of heart. In verse 13 then, going on, Then Jesus said to them, Don't you understand this parable? This is answering the question now, is what does this parable mean? We took a little, kind of a little uh, parenthesis in the middle there to explain <clears throat> so that. But now he's going to move on and, and explain the parable. And one of the things he says is this, this parable, if you understand this parable, you're going to be able to understand others as well. That's kind of the thought that he's saying there. And so verse 14, Jesus explains the parable. Remember, we've got a farmer, we've got seed, and we've got four different kinds of soil or places where the seed lands. That's the parable. If you want to know the whole parable, it's just like that. That's, I just said it. But Jesus goes and says, the farmer sows the word. So now we know the seed is God's word. The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes, takes away the word that was sown in them. So you're saying, hey, <clears throat> you want to know what's going on with the different places the seed fell? The stuff that fell on the path, the birds came and ate it, and the symbolism there is Satan snatches away the seed from places that are hard, from hearts that are hard. <clears throat> um, and then he goes on to say, um, uh, others, like the seed sown in rocky places, hear the word at once and receive it with joy. Um, but uh, since they have no root... <clears throat> they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. So he's saying, hey, that seed that falls into to the rocky places where there's a little bit of soil, they grow up a little bit, but eventually they just die because there's no root system. And then he goes on to say, still other seed is sown among the thorns. Uh, and, and they hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires 
for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. You see, Jesus is making very, very clear what, the, what these different soils are all about. Um, you've got the hard ground, and then you've got the rocky ground, and now you've got ground that gets choked out with thorns. Um, and then he says in verse 20, <clears throat> Others, like seeds sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop. Some 30, some 60, and some 100 times what was sown. So just go ahead and put that next one up there, Tim. This is a, you're looking through, you're saying you got, you got a sower, you got, you got seed, you got a farmer, you got soils. And the seed is God's word. The servant is Christ who was sharing the gospel or speaking the gospel. But the farmer is also anybody from that point on who shared the gospel with others or told the good news to someone. Um, we're, if we're doing that, we're like farmers sowing seed. That's exactly what Jesus was saying. And then the soil is people's hearts. Um, and, you know, why do we pray, Lord God, open their hearts? Help them to understand, because sometimes soils need to be plowed up. There's times in Israel's history when the Lord said to his people, plow up your hearts. Your hearts are hard. Plow them up so that, so that the word can get in. So just a quick implication here from these verses. Uh, verse 3 really struck me. Listen, and, and he says that a lot at the start of parables. It's like, okay, uh, we're going to get started here. Listen up. Listen, think, understand. So he says, listen, a farmer went out to plant some seed. And then he said, verse 9, anyone, who ha- anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. The point of listening is understanding. And so he's, he's telling them that right up front. Now, <clears throat> hearts without fruit, very quickly, just kind of go through what, what he already said. You have the hard heart, and that's the heart that's on the path, or the seed that's thrown on the path, and the devil comes and takes it away. And, and, and for anyone who is resistant to the word of God, anyone who doesn't want to hear the things of God, anyone who, who looks at Christianity and says, that's just Foolish. You people are idiots to believe that. Well, someone like that's got a very hard heart. And, and that very hard heart, the seed falls on it and it gets snatched away by Satan. And so he, he says, watch out for those things. And a shallow heart is where the falls in the rocky places. And, and he says, when persecution come along, they just kind of wither. They walk away. They drift away. They hear it joyfully. They're excited about it until things maybe go get a little bit hard and tough, and then when hardship comes along and difficult times come away, they pretty much just walk away or drift away. And then there's the crowded heart. Um, this is the one that's planted and, and where the thorns come in and, and grow, uh, the deceit of, of wealth and all those kinds of things. Just, they just choke out the word. The plant can't grow because there's so much there. Um, someone put it this way. The person who has the thorns is someone who has a whole lot of other seeds going on. And there's no place for the seed of God's Word to grow. And I thought that was kind of an interesting way to think that through. So the first three hearts produce no fruit, and the conclusion is they were not believers. There's no way that they could have been. And so, and again, remember the parable is very, very simple. He's not trying to put seven different layers in there. He's just saying, hey... The gospel is the seed, and there are different kinds of hearts and soils out there, and when it falls on good soil, 
it has an opportunity to grow. Um, so Jesus wasn't hiding the truth from sincere seekers. Um, those who were receptive to spiritual truth, they were receiving the, the truth about it. The parables allowed Jesus to give a message that would maybe make some of the hard-hearted people say, this is just nonsense, why am I here? Um, but for those who were desperately wanting to know what he had to say, they asked afterwards, and, and he helped them to understand. Um, those Jesus wanted to give the word to people who were hungry for it, for people who wanted to hear what he had to say, for people who believed that he really was who he said he was, the Messiah. It's clear the fourth heart bears fruit. Uh, the seed is planted, it grows, it matures, and it produces fruit. Uh, first, Second Corinthians describes that same thing in a different way. For if a man is in Christ, he becomes a new person altogether. The past is finished and gone. Everything has become fresh and new. What a great description. When we come to Christ, he doesn't patch us up. He makes us brand new. It's not like he's saying, okay, well, we'll, we'll get you so that you can kind of limp along. That's not the case at all. He wants to make brand new. He wants to make us brand new when he comes in and begins that work. And so uh, the past is finished, the gone, everything has become fresh and new. All this is God's doing. Okay, It's not me making my life better. It's not me out there working really hard to be good. It's God changing me from the inside out. He starts with my heart and my mind, and from there begins to work on all of the other things that need to be worked on in my life. So all this is God's doing. Why? Because he reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. And so that's one of the things we need to kind of really grab onto. Um, so when it comes to sowing seed, Paul said this about 1 Corinthians 3. He said, Paul, I, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. God made the plants grow. And I think when we're thinking about the gospel, we're thinking about people being saved, we need to always remember, we put the seed out there, how it falls, where it falls, we, we don't know. We just continue to sow the seed. God's the one that makes it grow. And so when we're thinking about people, we can pray for them to have soft hearts. We can pray for them to have understanding. Um, it's God who opens the eyes. And so if you have a friend or a family member who is just hard, you can say, Lord God, please soften their heart. Lord, please give them the opportunity to respond and, and, and pray like that. I think that's one of the important ways we can pray. We're asking God to plow up the dirt so that seed can take hold. So we pray for God to soften hearts and to plow up the field and so that they can receive the seed. And we can pray for God to open the ears so they can hear. That's what Jesus said. Listen. And then if you've got ears, listen and understand. I believe there's also a, a personal application here for us if we've come to know the Lord already. Uh, when we're saved, we hear God's word and his voice calling and we believe in Jesus and the fact that he died for us and, and, and we're saved. And it's interesting. I was thinking about this uh, yesterday as I was thinking through some of these things. Um, I was saved at a very young age, five years old maybe. 
And, and I remember that at that point, I understood a couple of things. Jesus died on a cross, and he did it for me. I understood that there was a hell, and I didn't want to go there. And so it was very simple, not a whole lot of theology involved in my life at that point. But I went to talk to my dad about it, <clears throat> and he encouraged me to, to pray and talk to the Lord about it. And he encouraged me to pray something like this. Jesus, I believe you died for me. Please forgive me and make me your child. And he was there with me. The words themselves aren't anywhere near as important as turning to Christ and knowing that he is the only answer. When we believe that he died for us and we say, Lord God, I need to be saved and only you can do that. Will you save me? And like I say, the words aren't as important as the thought that Jesus died for me. I believe that he died for me, and I want him to take up residence in my heart and life. And that's, that's the thought. And so if you're here today and that's never happened for you, please listen up. Um, listening for us requires two things, time and focus. We want to listen... Again, I'm thinking more broadly, not just the, the evangelistic part of this parable, but thinking of it in, in, an, in a whole different way. God's Word is something I'm supposed to listen to. And God's Word is something I should listen to, and that will take me time, and it will take my focus. Um, and there's so many ways that I can get into the Word of God. I can listen to it. I can, I can watch it sometimes even. Um, and, and I can read it. It's the idea of having God's Word have an input in our lives in some way. And that takes time. We say, okay, I, I, I need this, Lord God, help me. And it takes focus. It takes, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pay attention. Uh, at one point I was listening, uh, many years ago, listening to the book of Hebrews on tape. And you can read it if you're a fast reader in about 15, 20 minutes. Um, well, I'd be listening in about five minutes in. I'd say, oh, I better go back and listen to that again because I, my mind drifted away and I wasn't focused on what the word was being said. So again, listening. God calls us to listen. He says, listen. And he says, if you've got ears, listen and understand. And so listening, as we're listening to God speak through his word, it takes time and it will take focus. And the, law, the Lord longs for us to come to him and to, to listen to him and to ask him to help us understand uh, one of the things I try to do when I'm struggling through a passage, trying to figure out what I'm gonna, how I'm going to understand it and how I'm going to apply it, is I'm saying, Lord, I need some help here. Yeah, I've got commentaries and I've got other people who have written, but you need to be guiding my thoughts and you need to be guiding me, please, where you need me to go and to the sources that you need me to see. So just want to encourage you. Take some time and uh, get your focus on the Lord. It doesn't have to be hours and hours, but I believe the Lord really longs for us to take the time and to make him our focus. The four parables that Mark tells here, three of them have to do with seeds and soil and that kind of thing. And one of them, just for whatever reason, he sticks in the middle about the lamp. Okay, And, and this is what the parable says. He said to them, do you bring a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? And everybody's shaking their heads saying, no, of course not. Why would you do that? 
Uh, instead, don't you put it on a stand. And many times in the homes of that time frame, they would have little niches or little shelves where they could take the lamp that had been lit and set it up there so it would give more light to the whole place. Um, whatever's hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever's concealed is meant to be brought out in the open. If anyone has ears, let, him, let them hear. And so... <clears throat> the lamp here is, is written in such a way that it specifically points to Jesus Christ as the light. Just the tenses and the way that it's written very specifically. Uh, and of course, John 1.5 said this, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. Um, go ahead and put that one up there, Tim. Thank you. Yeah, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. Satan and evil will never extinguish, will never put out, will never put darkness uh, over the light. It it, it can't do it because the light cannot be extinguished because it's the Lord himself who is the light. So the light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never be extinguished. In other words, the darkness will not win. Sometimes we look around and we see the kind of things that we read about and hear about, and, and some of it seems really evil. And I'm not saying it's not. But what I am saying is, evil will not win. It may feel like it sometimes. It may look like it at times. But it's very clear. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. So if we have ears, we're supposed to use them to listen and understand. And then he says... Carefully consider what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured out to you. And so, uh, in a sense, what Jesus is saying here is, okay, if you don't put any faith into the word that you're listening to or reading, if you if you have no hard attitude for receiving, then you're not going to get a whole lot. If you're going to go to the Word of God and and you're going to read it and try to understand it and say, Lord God, help me to get what's here, all kinds of things happen, and your eyes are open. And so that's what he's saying here. Um, you know, the effort you put into it will be paid back. If you put effort into it, and, and you put some time into it, and you put some prayer into it, and you're seeking that God would speak to you with the measure you put in, you're going to get back. So if I, if I want to hear and understand what God's saying to me, I, I focus on that, and I pursue him. Now, please don't hear me saying that means that you take 20 hours uh, out of your day and, and just sit there, and that's not the point. The point is my heart. When I sit down or when I'm listening to the Word of God, am I thinking and am I praying and am I seeking for God to touch me in some way? And that, that's the important heart attitude that we're supposed to bring uh, so if anyone embraces the message of Jesus, um, that's when you believe and God takes up residence in our hearts. Verse 25 says, Whoever has will be given more, and whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken away. So those who refuse to believe and refuse to embrace the message that Jesus is teaching, uh, maybe they've understood some things, but eventually that's going to drift and fall away as well because they're not going to be able to hang on to it. So, you know, when we share the gospel with someone, it's like bringing a lamp into a dark room. Uh, if you've ever been in a pitch black place and all of a sudden just one little candle gets lit. And it's like, oh man, look at all that light. That's all it takes. 
Psalm 119, 105 says, Your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. My favorite verses. Another quote says, As light fills the room, God's word drives out spiritual darkness. So you come into a dark room and you bring the light, guess what? You can see. And when you bring in the word of God, spiritual darkness begins to dissipate because God's word um, is there. God's spirit is there helping us understand and interpret. So the more we seek to understand God's word, the more light he gives us. And he wants us to walk with him in the light. And he wants, us to, he wants to shine brightly through us as well so others can see the light of Christ in us. Let's move on to the last two parables. Um, he also said, verse 26, this is what the kingdom of God is like. And so right there he tells you, what I'm going to tell you, this is the point of it. The kingdom of God is like this. And then he gives the parable. So this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. So phase one of this parable, the kingdom of God is like this. It's like a man going out and scattering seed. That was the first step. Uh, he goes out, he scatters the seed as carefully as he can. He wants to get it into the soil that's good soil. Um, and then verse 27 says, Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. And all by itself, the soil produces grain. First the stalk, then the head, and then the full kernel in the head. So phase one, man goes out, sows the seed. Phase two, the soil itself, an interesting way that this is put there, uh, the soil itself automatically, or the soil itself without any visible cause, or the soil itself without any human effort, makes the seed grow. You've got the soil, you've got the sun, you've got the rain. All of those things come together, and the soil just produces the crop. The man isn't out there doing anything. Um, God works in the life, in people's lives. Seeds are planted, and as those seeds are planted, they begin to grow. And um, that's why so many times it's important for us to pray that God would plow up the heart of the person that we're praying for, that he would soften their heart. Um, fruit for God's kingdom grows from soil that is hospitable to the word or soil that welcomes, soil that embraces, soil that receives. So just thinking about that, the fruit of the kingdom grows where the soil is ready, where the soil is welcoming, embracing, all those kinds of things. And then the Verse 29, as soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. So phase one, plants the seed. Phase two, the, the, the soil itself grows the plant until the point where it needs to be harvested. And then in the, in the last phase, phase three, he goes out and gets the sickle and they start to harvest all of the grain that has grown. <clears throat> it's interesting when you think, Think about yourself, I think about myself, and, and what God has done down through the years. Um, Philippians 1.6 came to mind as I was studying, thinking about this, just this parable, the whole idea that the seed gets sown, the seed grows, and the sweet seed gets harvested. Philippians 1.6 says, And I'm certain that God who began the good work within you Again, we're back to God causes the growth. God who began the good work in you 
will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus will return. So when we're saved, God begins that work in us, and he continues to work in us, and he never stops working in us until we see Christ, and then we will be like him because we will see him. And and, and what an incredible thing. You know, the the parable of the soil here, the, the seed is sown, it grows, and it's harvested. Galatians 6, 9. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. So we are called to plant the seed and to pray and ask God to cause it to grow. Uh, In our own lives, we are called to continue going and continue asking God to grow those things that he wants to grow in our lives. Now, the second parable, which is the third one about seeds, and soil. Verse 30, again he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable will we use to describe it? Again, he's saying, let me tell you, tell you about the kingdom of God. This is what it's like. <clears throat> and he says, it's like a mustard seed. And he talks about how this mustard seed is the smallest seed of the garden plants. And, and people say this is a, some people will are critical of this, saying, you know, Jesus isn't really being honest here. There are smaller seeds than that. But think about the parable and where he's telling it and the time frame. He's using, from their knowledge, the smallest seed that they deal with. It would have been smaller than wheat, smaller than corn, smaller than barley. And so just in their context, in the garden context of that time frame, he says the smallest seed... A mustard seed is planted, and yet it grows up, and it becomes big, really big. No, it's not a tree, but it's a huge bush, and birds can even come and nest in it. That's how big it is. And and so he's telling them this parable. The kingdom of God is like this. You put a little thing in there, and, and it grows. That's the kingdom of God. And then it says, with many other parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them, the crowd, without a parable. But when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. He explained everything. So the central thought here, I think, is the whole idea that Jesus' kingdom started out small. You got 12 disciples, maybe a couple hundred other people. That's it. And down through the centuries, millions of people have believed and been converted and have passed on into eternity in heaven with the Lord. And, and we still have millions that need to hear it. Um, that's why it, 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 it is so important that we continue to think, okay, Lord, help me sow that seed. Uh, and that can happen in all kinds of ways. Um, it may be that someone asks a question and you're able to just speak a little bit. Maybe you give someone a Bible. Karen and I met some people in, um, in, in I was going to say Alamosa, but it's liberal. And um, we're able to give them a, a Bible in Spanish. And what a cool thing to be able to do. We've sowed some seed there. And we're praying that that Bible won't sit on the coffee table or the shelf, but that it will actually get opened and that it will be read. That's part of sowing the seed. There's all kinds of other ways that we do that as well. But from humble insignificant beginnings the church started and that's the tiny little seed i think that's what jesus was trying to say hey um it's it's small now but just wait till eternity Uh, this quote came came up 
Don't despise the day of small things like the start of the church. Something great is on the way. Isn't that awesome? And very quickly, I've got four observations I want to give you about these parables. First of all, these parables should instill confidence that overcomes despair. You know, we think about the culture, we think about the world, and we think, oh man, it's terrible. There's still good soil out there. It's our job to sow the seeds and to keep on sowing. And the good news is when the seed hits good ground, God makes it grow. God makes it grow. Second thing, these parables show us that the seed's success does not depend on us. Saying the same thing a little bit differently, but God is the one who will water and um, bring the sunshine and cause that seed to grow. And we may be part of that process. We may be the person that, like Paul, where he sowed the seed, or like Apollos who watered it. doesn't matter because God is the one who eventually causes the, the seed to grow. Third one, the parables encourage patient faith. Um, crops, you know, you plant them and then you got to wait. And maybe different seeds in different places take longer to grow. But we plant the seed. We continue to sow the seed. Um, and then the last one, the parables do not promise instant growth. Parables, none of them say, all you've got to do is this and Boom, it all takes place really, 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 really fast. Um, if there's anything we've learned down through the centuries is that, is that God works on his timetable and in his way. And we need to be in line with him. Continue to sow the seed and trust him. I'm going to put this uh, picture back up there. <clears throat> Talking about the seed, the word of God, the Hewa people, uh, the New Testament is done. What does that mean? It means that they can sow the seed now too. They've been hearing the gospel because when they go into these places, once they learn the language, at some point they start doing from, from, from the Garden of Eden to the cross, discussions and explanations and teaching. And so many times churches are founded and formed in all of those years while the translation work is being done. But when they have the New Testament themselves, it can really take off and go even more. Why? Because the Word of God is alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. We praise God for the seed that's being sown in so many places. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for your word, and thank you that you've given it to us. Thank you for the fact that you have assured us that your seed and, and your word will continue to grow. And so, Lord, help us... Every day, just say, Lord, if there's someone that I need to meet, help me to meet them. If there's someone I need to talk with, help me to be able to do that. And Lord, may we be people who are sowing seeds for the kingdom. We thank you and we praise you in your name. Amen.